Welcome, Max Delapia. You are listening to Mr. E People, because I'm Mr. E, Elmer Plotz, and uh, I like to talk to people. And today we have Max Delapia, congressional candidate in the 23rd District, running as a Democrat. And we've got a lot of questions for you. But I guess my first question is, uh, where did you originally come from? I was born in Manistee, Michigan, in a small town. And uh, I lived there until a week before I turned 18. On the 4th of July in 1971, I went to the Air Force Academy. And then I spent, you know, the rest of my, you know, 32-year, 10-month, and three-day Air Force career uh, in active service, uh, reserves, and Air National Guard. And what brought you to the southern tier of New York State? Maybe it would be good just to briefly say a couple steps. Okay. I went to pilot training in Mississippi, and I served on active duty flying C-130s all over the world. I got out and went to law school at Marquette. I met my lovely wife of 38 years, Nancy, and uh, we moved 10 times over the course of 32-year career. And I joined the reserves in Milwaukee and flew C-130s once again. And they sent me to be a Brookings Fellow for Senator Carl Levin on his personal staff for a year. And then I worked for the Secretary and Chief of Staff of the Air Force and Air Force Senate Liaison. And then the New York Air National Guard hired me away to be the wing commander for the ski birds, the ones that go to Antarctica and up to Greenland in support of National Science Foundation and the National Command Authority. And then I went to uh, headquarters in uh, Latham, and I was the director of staff air for 10 months. Went to Afghanistan for the next, I don't know, I guess it was seven months uh, in Kandahar. And then I came back and retired in 2008 and joined the business development staff at Lockheed Martin. And that brought me to Owego. But I've been in New York since uh, 1998. Okay, I just want to step back for a second because one of the things I'm always interested in is the Antarctica flights. How many times did you fly to Antarctica? Well, that's probably not as impressive as how many times I've been to the South Pole flying. You've actually been to the South Pole. Correct. Uh, Over 125 times probably. Over the course of those six years, nine months, I was the wing commander. I would go every season for several rotations. And, uh, and I also served up in Greenland doing training and supporting National Science Foundation up there. And uh, So what does it look like in a, at the South Pole? Most people never see it. That's true. Um, there is a ceremonial South Pole, which uh, has a kind of a barber pole with a kind of a Chrome time type thing that kind of like what you kind of like what you'd think of a globe, and it's got those things on the top and the bottom that it spins on, but it doesn't really. <laughs> but uh, it is very flat and desolate, and uh, it goes miles and miles with nothing but snow. I mean, it's they used to have T-shirts you could get. It says uh, South Pole, two inches of fresh powder and two miles of base. <laughs> oh, okay. So I just had to ask about that. 
Now, uh, since you went to work for Waukee Martin and uh, eventually retired from there, you've also done a lot of service. You've had sort of a life of public service between the uh, between the Air Force and then some of the things you've done. Could you give like two or three highlights of the service acti- activities you've done sure. in the last few years? Sure. Um, first of all, my parents are both uh, World War II vets. My mo- mom was Women's Army Air Corps in World War II, and my dad was a paratrooper in the Pacific, 11th Airborne. So they taught service gives life purpose, and I believe that, and that's how they lived their life. Uh, lives, and uh, that's how I chose to do mine as well. So I uh, have been the president of the board for Racker Center, which is a three-county nonprofit that supports special needs folks and their families. And the idea is that we want everyone to live the fullest life they're capable of. So we provide support in the community, if they can live in the community, uh, we customize plans for that, or if they're not able to do that, we have 26 uh, residence facilities, a respite care facility, pre-K audiology clinic, and about 760 to 800 employees in a $41 million budget. So I did a three-year tour with them, and then they asked me to be the president, and I am the president now. I've also been uh, very active in Rotary. I was on the board for uh, Rotary and Oligo. Uh, Meals on Wheels, uh, the uh, ski patrol uh, at Greek Peak. I've done that for five years or so. And also uh, something called Tioga Rural Ministry. And it's more than a a food pantry. They actually get kids ready to get back to school, get them new tennis shoes and a backpack and clothes. But also if somebody's uh, working two jobs, can't get ahead, lose their transmission, and uh, they can't replace it, they end up in a situation where they can't get to work because rural New York doesn't have transportation options. So we bought many uh, used cars and basically allow them to stay in their job and pay their mortgage or their rent and not end up homeless. Uh, And it happens so quickly. Once you hit that I can't get a replacement for my car. What am I going to do to being homeless and uh, living in a car that doesn't run? Now, that brings me up to uh, the question of, if you look across the southern New York State, look across the southern tier, some of the small towns have become really desolate and really hard hit. What do you think you can do if elected to Congress? What ways could Congress help make how could they help uh, the Southern Tier make an economic comeback? What What do we need to do? It's not a simple question. Uh, it's a simple question, but it has a lot of facets. Let me give you a couple examples. I think we need to invest in our workforce. I think that uh, we started out a long time ago with compulsory education for a high school education, and you think of all the technological advances and we're still at you know, a traditional high school diploma. I think that we need to go another two years and provide vocational options of training, technical training for modern uh, issues like cybersecurity or you know, 
IT, all, all those type of things that have great need and great jobs, um, but also um, post-secondary education. You know, right now, you cannot go to college without your family taking on a tremendous um, load of debt. And that's, we have to figure out a way to make sure that education is, is affordable and that, that people don't go into the rest of their life with uh, debts that they can't get married or buy a car or a house. So that's one thing. So invest in our education uh, of all types for our children. We also need uh, broadband internet, and uh, we, we have uh, a bipartisan bill that they came up with that ordinarily would not be a very contentious issue, you know, because every district has needs. But for decades, literally decades, uh, our infrastructure has been basically ignored. So, you know, uh, internet is one, roads, uh, sewage systems, water systems that are way past their uh, <laughs> get better date, I guess. We, we need to replace those. So they're going to require some public investment. Absolutely. And, and quite frankly, that infrastructure bill that passed with some bipartisan support has several things in it that are particularly important for small towns. First of all, the jobs will be quality jobs of high-paying high jobs. And if the people are not trained to do it, there is funding within the bill to get training for those people so that they can do the jobs and we don't have to bring, them, bring in people from el elsewhere to do the jobs that are here to be done. And that isn't a panacea for sure, but it, it certainly will be a multiplier effect as far as you know, those incomes for those jobs will be spent in the local area and that will be income to others, which will be income to others, and it has a multiplier effect. And one of the other major factors in the southern tier is agriculture has also struggled, especially the small farms. seems like most of the small farms have disappeared. What can be done to uh, help reinvigorate the agricultural economy? Um, there are several things. There are, they're struggling. Let's just take uh, dairy farms, for example. Uh, they're... There are immigration pro programs that allow you to have seasonal workers for something that is a traditional crop that comes in and go, you know, they, they plant and then they harvest. But for a, a rural dairy farmer, they need people day in, day out, 24-7 <laughs> almost, and, and goes through the, the, th the year, 365 days a year. There are people from... Uh, South and Central America and, uh, and Mexico who are willing to come here to be vetted, uh, to pay Social Security, to pay taxes, and to send money home. Uh, and, and, after, and they'll stay for a year, two years, three years, five years. And at the end of it, they will have enough of a nest egg to go home and have their own farm. Uh, but that would help our dairy uh, farmers and it also help our economy and uh, we really need to do what we can to help farmers uh, broadband internet is something that they need as well uh, but we are there are lots of issues uh, that we can help them 
we're looking at a demographic that's uh, aging out, and uh, young people have a difficult time getting enough money to invest in the infrastructure that they need for a farm to keep it running. Uh, they are big dollar uh, items, heavy equipment, uh, but they need that financing so that they're not, uh, so that they are able to step in and, and do the uh, the job of of having a farm. It's a great life, but it's a hard life, particularly when you don't have uh, the ability to uh, fund what you need to get the job done. Now, are there any images that have stuck with you as you've been traveling across the district? The, the new district now goes all the way from Hamburg and the southern Buffalo suburbs all the way to Owego. No, not to Owego. Oh. It's no, I, I'm not so sure that it was an accident, but when I started this grand adventure, I was in the district in Tioga County. As you may know, I'm the Tioga County chair uh, for the Democratic Committee, um, but after they redistricted the redistricting, uh, by coincidence, the line goes right between Chemung and Tioga County. So my home is no longer in the district. So you would have to move. I would. Of course, I, of course, so would your opponent. That's true. They're all, yeah. So, so that doesn't become a big issue unless uh, someone thinks that one of us is in the district and one of us is not. But neither of us are currently. Uh, but that's interesting that that happened that way. Now, as you've traveled across the district, have there been any images that have stuck with you from your travels? You've been on the road a lot all summer into the fall here. Any particular images or stories that have really st stuck out for you? You know, uh, this is an image. Uh, it isn't necessarily from uh, the district and my travels. It actually came up in an interview I had. Uh, have you ever been to an interview where the person that's giving you the questions is also the moderator, not only the moderator, but it's also your debate opponent and the timekeeper? And every time you say something that he disagrees with, he kind of talks over you. Have you ever had that experience? I have not had that experience. Well, it's kind of painful. But if you just maintain your cool and answer the questions the best you can, um, he said at the end, he goes, you know, um, I know I've been a little tough on you here, but um, I want to end on a, a positive note. So he said, so you said that you like to work across the aisle and to get things done for the American people. And I, I, I said, you know, people in Congress appear to, a lot of them appear to be motivated by power, money, and ego. And that makes it all about them, and it needs to be all about you and us, um, and it needs to actually strengthen our democracy, not destroy it. So he said, what can you do across the aisle? So I said, well, I was looking at Facebook just the other, actually yesterday at the time, and I said I saw a disabled vet with an oxygen tank slung over his shoulder. He's on the side of the road with a police officer and a police uh, and and it was uh, basically telling a story about him trying to get to his uh, medical uh, appointment, and he didn't have a way, so he's just going to walk three counties. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so 
the police officer pulled off the side of the road, put him in the back, drove him to the county line, and then went, uh, he coordinated with the sheriff's department from the next county, and that county sheriff drove him to the next county line, and the final leg was done by another law enforcement officer, and they did the reverse on the way home. And literally dozens of people commented, great job, proud of my the men in blue, you can't do enough for our veterans, on and on and on. And I thought, my response was, I am very proud of the law enforcement people, the men in blue that supported veterans, and I think that's great. And I'm great, grateful that they cared enough to solve that problem for that veteran that day. But what happens when he needs to go to another appointment? Is he just supposed to call the sheriff or what? I think that there are people from the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the non-affiliateds, whatever, that would gladly get on board to solve that problem, not only for that veteran in a, in a place like rural New York that doesn't have transportation, but also for poor people who really have the same problem. And that brings up the issue of rural health and, and what we're facing. We're closing down, uh, closing down uh, clinics and hospitals because we can't get them manned by uh, medical professionals because they're drawn to the cities. I think there are some incentive things that we can do to help um, get them here and keep them here. Once they get to New York and upstate New York and see how beautiful it is, I think we can do it. And he goes, I agree with that. I said, okay. He said, do you have another one? Shall I go on or shall I not? I don't want oh, to take... I don't want to take we'll give you one more. Okay. So actually, it turned out to be the immigration issue and the, and the dairy farmers. Um, and, uh, and then... Anyway, so that, that was kind of the way we went about it. And at the end, he, he said, uh, well, we're out of time, but you, you got three, and I agreed with all three, so I guess we can, it is something that can be done. And that's the hope, that we can change the trajectory that our democracy is on and actually make a difference in an institution that many of us are concerned is failing us, not because it's um, mostly because of people's unwillingness to put their interests aside and focus on public service instead of service of self. Now, you have spent some time in Washington. You've worked with the Senate. And uh, what, what do you bring from that experience that is going to help you in office? Well, certainly I know how things can work. And I had an instance where I was able to actually make a difference that made uh, – Lives better for reservists and guardsmen who are put out there to do active duty missions, but maybe in a category that puts them in a, um, a reservist uh, or guardsman status. And if they're injured, they aren't given active duty medical care. At least that's what happened in, on April 1st of uh, 1990. Seven, uh, there was a, an accident and a mishap in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where the airplane went off the end of the runway at a high rate of speed. 
burst into flames. Uh, three people died, seven people survived, and they were denied medical care for their families, and they only got medical care for themselves, for the injury itself and not other things. And they were given base pay only, continuation pay, not uh, subsistence pay, housing pay, or uh, flight pay. And I thought if I could put a human face on that, uh, maybe we could change something. And sure enough, that happened. Um, I made some contacts both in the House and the Senate, Republican and Democrat, and people said, what can we do to make this happen differently and care for the people who are hurt in this situation? And the long story short, between April 1st and the end of August that year, in the uh, uh, conference um, for the authorization bill, they actually said we can put, uh, extend them on active duty and provide them those resources that they really have des should have had without, ha without question. Uh, but it, it was rewarding to me, having spent 20 years in the military already, uh, in the Air Force, practiced law, and then worked for Senator Levin on his personal staff for a year, and then working for the Secretary and Chief of Staff of the Air Force. I was in a situation where I didn't have a vote, but I could be a catalyst, and I could make something happen uh, by getting good people together from both sides of the aisle. And, uh, and I'm very proud to say that reservists and guardsmen similarly situated for the future have that as a benefit, and I'm very proud of that. Now, if you had a message for the small towns in the district, a short message, what would it be? What would you tell the people in the smaller towns of the district? Well, it doesn't just apply to small towns. I'm from a small town. I, I have an... Uh, I am committed to service. That's why I'm running. I want to make their lives better and the lives of their families better. And I want to protect our democracy and defend it. Um, it may be a different kind of defending, uh, but it's, it's so important. You know, I spent uh, over 32 years in the Air Force, uh, and I led hundreds of airmen and women in some difficult times in combat theaters, uh, in our um, polar environments and, you know, 9-11. And I didn't lead by, what would you call it, uh, by fear or I'm the colonel, therefore you should do this. Basically, it was team building, collaboration, respect for one another, and urging them to, to work toward a goal in something bigger than themselves. That's the kind of leadership we need in Congress, and that's what I hope to provide. Now, before we came in here, we were talking a little bit, and you, you did mention that you have a trans daughter. How has that affected you politically and what you hope to do politically? I think there are, there are freedoms that are definitely on the ballot. I will do everything I can to make sure that the government does not get between a woman and her doctor in the decisions she needs to make for the best interest of herself, her reproductive uh, decisions, and her family. And uh, that's important. But it's not the only issue or freedom that is really being threatened, I believe.
it's, you know, there was almost an agenda from what I consider to be a pretty activist court. They're not supposed to have a political agenda. Uh, but when you, you're not truthful uh, in your, not, your, uh, your confirmation hearings, I think you're asking to be put on a life um, assignment uh, or life uh, tenure uh, position. And, and we really, uh, we should have better. We should not have uh, a political cudgel. It should be some, some, a group that basically just judges the law. And you can have different views, uh, but you know, there's that. There's equality, marriage equality. There's contraception. Things between husband and wife, regardless of your view, that are personal, that the government really does not belong in. And then my daughter's fearful for her future because uh, it appears that uh, violence against transgender people, people that are different, uh, for whatever reason, that seems to be okay. And there are a couple statistics that are important. 41% of all transgender people attempt suicide. Not consider, but attempt. 59% one or both parents of their family disown them. So they become one of the most likely demographics to be homeless, to make less than $10,000 a year. They are subject, because of their situation, often uh, to sexual assault, to physical assault, and to murder, just because of who they are. This is, this is real, it's personal, and I believe that we all should be able to be who we are, love who we want to love, and accept one another for however that is. Because this is America. This is freedom. And we shouldn't allow people to threaten it on any basis. The evangelical right has tried to lay claim to being the Christian church. The, uh, and, to, and the right has tried to lay claim to patriotism. Yet you, I believe, are a Christian. You are a uh, veteran who served 30-plus years in the military, and so you sort of belie that uh, because you're, you're the exception that, that proves that they uh, may be wrong. That's very true. I think it's, um, it's hard for me to understand the, the disconnect between wanting freedom in a country and then trying to deny it of other people. So you take the, the example of uh, a woman's right to choose. We do not have a national uh, religion, nor do I think it's a good idea to do that. As much as I strengthen my conviction, I believe that we are a diverse nation that should respect others' rights to, um, uh, of religion as well, to practice and to believe the way they want to. Um, 
So, you know, there are very there are lots of different ways of looking at um, birth and and when when is a uh, when is an abortion or a DNC, you know, when do, when does some people say it start you know from the very first point, but you know Saint Thomas Aquinas said uh, quickening, uh, Judaism, first breath. Um, I don't think we should be forcing our views on everyone else in the country uh, just because we hold them so dearly. I'm never asking anybody in that situation to to have one of those procedures. I'm really not. I'm not encouraging them. I don't think anybody that has one really looks forward to it or uses it as a, a means of birth control. Those are all absurd things that really do not. Uh, they, they beg uh, reality. Uh, so I, I think we, we need to be a bigger, more open country and give people freedoms and respect each other. And uh, when someone asks me, how can you be a Democrat if you are a veteran? And I'm very insulted by that because I care about the country, I care about our democracy, and I think that the American flag is not just for nationalists. Uh, and I don't think nationalism is, is bad unless it is my country's right all the time. Patriotism is when you say, we deserve better, this is something that needs to change, and I'm willing to criticize it and fight for change because it's going to make my country better and our democracy stronger. Well, thank you for doing that over the last several years. And uh, I guess maybe a final main, well, before I get to the final question, any topics that, that I might have missed? You know, immigration is one, there are several, you know, there are like three things. The uh, women's sovereignty over reproductive decisions is one. Certainly, immigration is another. Um, and economics is probably the third one I hear most often as I walk and talk to people across the district. So immigration, to me, is something that is long overdue for uh, just kind of doing a, a full-scale, let's fix this. Uh, it's been decades. In the 70s, bipartisan people, bipartisan uh, legislators tried to get together and, and make changes, and all of it has come to nothing. So what's happening now, in my view, is we use hate, fear, and lies to make it almost un-American to want immigration at all. And I think that's so sad because, quite frankly, um, Reagan had a, uh, his last, his last um, address as president, he said, while other 
countries cling to the stale past, here in America we breathe life into dreams, we create the future, and the world follows us into tomorrow. Thanks to each wave of new arrivals to this land of opportunity, we are a nation forever young, forever bursting with energy and new ideas, and always on the cutting edge, always leading the world to the next frontier. This quality is vital to our future as a nation if we ever close the door to new Americans, our leadership in the world would soon be lost. So, yes, uh, there are problems in this country with our immigration system, and we need to fix them on a bipartisan basis. And we should continue to open our doors to people from all over the world who want to join this great country. Anything else is un-American. So that's immigration. There are a lot of concerns about inflation and our economy and people's economic future. Unfortunately, um, the level of analysis is often, it's because of whoever's in the White House. It's not really analytical. Uh, there isn't a switch in there that allows them to flip it and uh, change it one way or the other. We do have levers that we can use, um, and, we, and we are doing our best to move those le levers. And I guess what I'd really like to point out is um, the Democratic Party, I, I don't like to be partisan, but um, we need to work together uh, to alleviate the financial strain for families. But a lot of these things that have been attempted have, done, have been attempted without any support from the Republican side. The American Rescue Plan included assistance for education, child care, nutrition, and energy expenses. But no Republican voted in favor. The Child Care for Working Families Act as well as the Universal School Meals Program Act were introduced by House Democrats without any Republican co-sponsors. The Consumer Price Gouging Prevention Act to limit prices at the pump passed without a single Republican vote in favor. So all these bills help offset inflation and its effects, but Republicans don't seem interested in helping families as much as they are in using the issue to divide us and to score political points before the midterms. So um, we need someone in Congress that is not motivated by power, money, or ego, but someone, a public servant, motivated to serve our country, to do what's best for our country, to move our country forward, and to serve the constituents who send them to Congress. That's my objective, that's why I'm running, and that's why I need everybody's vote. So if, if people could look for my uh, website, it's at Delapia4, D-E-L-L-A-P-I-A-4, F-O-R-N-Y-23.com, I'd be honored to have your support and to have you consider me as your next congressman. Thank you so much.
I think that wraps it up. Thank you very much for coming in. I enjoyed talking to you. And I look forward to seeing you down the road. <laughs>